What does esports have to do with the events industry? As it turns out, quite a bit. Mega event organizer and esports expert Rebecca DeFreitas joins me to talk about how event organizers can power up their planning game by leveling up their esports XP. I'm Jen Salerno, and this is the Courtesy Block, a chip off the Room Block podcast. Today I have with me Rebecca DeFreitas who is a mega event organizer and esports subject matter expert. And you all might be saying, esports, this is an odd topic for Jen to talk about on the Room Black Podcast, but I'm excited to talk about it today. It is something that has come up in my past through my former positions, just you know, different trade show organizers. I've started to notice esports started to become more prevalent in the different types of events they were planning. So I thought, you know what? I think it's time to talk about it on the show. So Rebecca, welcome. Ah, thank you so much, Jen. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Excellent, thank you. Well, before we get started on our topic, of course, I love to have my guests give a little background on who you are, how you came into the industry, and of course, we'll need to know how you got into esports. So sure. could you take us through your career? Yeah, no, it'd be my pleasure. So first of all, I know, again, thank you so much for having me on. I have stumbled upon the Room Block podcast, I think, earlier this fall, and I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. So to kind of sum it up, um, my name is Rebecca DeFreitas. I am a mega event organizer based in D.C. and an eSport um, SME, subject matter expert. So really, um, how I kind of fell into hospitality and the events industry, I think, is kind of like a lot of people. Um, I, I started off studying political science in college and kind of just fell into it. I, I was studying human nature at an applied political science level. Um, I got my way to D.C. Um, I was really interested in Sino-American relations and international affairs. I had lived in China. I had done the political science stuff. I moved to D.C. to do think tanks and work on the Capitol Hill and et cetera. And I remember my first boss, when we were talking through things, he's like, it's a sin that you're stuck behind a computer. You got to get out in front of the people. <laughs> so um, so with that, I, I took that and with a grain of salt, and I started working at a trade association called the National Retail Federation based in D.C. So I was an exhibit coordinator. Yeah meetings coordinator for them for a couple of years. And from that introduced me to the mega event scale. You know, our flagship event was at the Javits Center every January with um, tens of thousands of attendees. So that introduced me to the scope and the circular economy that events have. I think like many other people, um, especially maybe 2020, people have realized it, but the events have kind of been a ghost economy. You don't really realize it until it's not there. So me as a young person, seeing the huge impact of events on, you know, for the sake of, as I'm on the room block, you know, blocking up, you know, dozens and dozens of room blocks in Manhattan for a trade show, or, you know, we had two, we had three other rotating shows across the country. So National Retail Federation gave me huge exposure to that. Um, right after that, I got recruited to work for a company called Freeman. So that was our service, um, service provider side. So I was now no longer the client, the host side, I was now seeing it from the other side. And that was a really cool transition in the way that um, 
I had to put on my other hat. So the idea for those meeting organizers out there, when you're a host and you send your program guide to go get printed or you, you know, I was able to be like, okay, when you send your program guide to go get printed, all the signs for Freeman should be done because the content should be the same. So I was able to kind of have that, that linear there. And, and that's where I got really introduced to some like really sexy accounts. I was able to do the vice presidential debate. I was able to do some stuff with Microsoft and Tableau. I did proposals for ESPN. I think that's where I kind of got um, bit uh, in that way. And I think two years, three years into that, I was accepted into Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. They have a global hospitality leadership uh, master's program. It's more of like a pretty, It's a spe- obviously it's a specified master's level for the industry. So I got accepted into that. And then where that led me was esports. So long answer to your very short question of esports is that um, I was a gamer. I grew up gaming for a long time. I think what we started seeing, especially around like that beacon technology hit around 2015, 2016, was gamification of the trade show floor. Mm-hmm. A lot of people started wanting gamifications. In 2018, that became what is this esport thing? So I started just like tinkering in it, just seeing what it was. And then it became my master's thesis because I was like, this is too cool to ignore. <laughs> and it was oh, a passion. It, it was a passion project just because I was able to combine like growing up playing video games in my parents' basement with my professional skill set of like selling out, you know, arenas and convention centers. So that's where I am today. So my master's thesis was um, the the published title is Gen Z in esports, the digitiz excuse me gen z and esports the digitization of live event brands i've said it so many times but i, I can't get it together <laughs> so um yeah so that was published in may it was picked up by ifit the um inter- the international federation of it travel and tourism so i'll be presenting it in january and wow yeah. congratulations thank you yeah so that that's me in about five minutes sorry about that <laughs> no it's perfect okay yeah. well wait i have to ask Try. What games did you play growing up? Oh my goodness, yes. I Okay, so we did the neighborhood games. So we're doing Mario Kart, we're doing Pong, we were doing you know anything that we could do. I think my dad had a dusty N64 that you blew off the cartridges. So you go, you're not allowed yep. to do that now. I just want everyone to know. That's why public service announcement. Do not do that because the moisture can get in. Anyway, so we did that. <laughs> um, so my favorite game, my favorite, favorite game was N64 GoldenEye. It was a James Bond game. Oh, played yeah. On the yeah. So that one was the one where I was like, oh, this is this is it. This is super cool. And so that graduated into, um, you know, playing a little bit more FPS, first-person shooter games and things like that. And I was always, as a typical event organizers, I was always doing 20,000 things at the same time. So even in college, I was, you know, doing like 17 extracurriculars, but I'd always kind of come back to my bedroom and, you know, or my dorm room and just play. Or I have a twin sister who's also very much into gaming too. So she was doing Call of Duty and World of Warcraft. Well, you know, it's funny because video games get a bad rap sometimes. Um, I'm yep. a parent of two young kids. So of course, I read a lot about, you know, don't let your kids play too much, blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, and I get that. You know, I, I understand the adverse effects of sitting in front of a screen all day, uh, although we're all forced to be that way right now. <laughs> but um Honestly, it's the kind of thing where it is a stress relief, you know? I mean, my husband and I, the way that we've gotten through the past eight months is we play Beat Saber 
which is a a VR, (laughs) a VR game, um, you know, where you like hit the blocks according to the beat and like, you just get into this state of flow, Mm -hmm. right? Where Mm -hmm. you're just going and it's just, it's a nice way to just like decompress. I get it when you say you were in college and you would go back to your dorm and just play and just take some time out. So good for you. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Well, so. All right, there's there's a lot here because this is really a different kind of topic for me to talk about. So mm-hmm. where normally I feel like I have topics where I'm like, okay, I know a little bit about this. This one, I just don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so except for what I see happening in my own living room downstairs <laughs> by my kids playing. Right. I mean, you got market research in your own house. That's great. <laughs> so. Yeah, too much. <laughs> way, way too much. I know way more about that, <laughs> what they're right. playing than I ever would have wanted to know. But yes. Yeah. Yeah. So if if you can, mm-hmm. in a nutshell, explain yeah. what exactly is esports? How large is it? And, and yeah. what is it? <laughs> I know. Yeah. No, that, that that's a great question to start off with. So I think esports is derived from the acronym of, you know, electronic sports. So really what it is, is that it's a competition of video game play, um, whether that's in a streaming platform using something like Twitch or YouTube whether it's an arena, using a tournament, an event tournament, things like that. So really where electronic sports, esports, I think has really taken off is that the numbers have exploded. It was something that was born online. It was born in competitive play, utilizing games um, that you call MMO. So that's, you know, multiplayer option, multiplayer games. So that's going to be something like World of Warcraft and League of Legends and um, Overwatch. You know, those are the big tournaments you hear about. But there's also tournaments about Super Smash Brothers. And, you know, the, the really uh, tournaments of every type of capability for an event coordinator. You know, for an event, that tournament's going to be that kind of trigger word. But esports could also be, you know, casual playing on the couch. There's a term that's kind of come out the last decade called gaming together yet alone. And that's technically esports as well. You can be gaming in a social community online, but alone on your couch. So that's really where uh, esports is. I think the explosion of esports, the over monetization in the industry is really overwhelming in the way that people are running to get a piece of the pie almost constantly. Um, So I think what we're going to see here are a lot of people who are anxious to rebuild after COVID, they're going to want to throw everything into esports because it's it's the supposed medicine to solve all of events woes after we've all gone digital during COVID. But I'm you know I'm, and I'm happy here to kind of explain, in my opinion, you know what will work, what won't work because I feel like esports, the growth that it's had, I mean we're looking at numbers like one point. 6 billion in revenue by 2023, 2.5 billion by 2025, you know, 500 million fans this year alone. And these are streamers. These are people watching it. So I think that's really where the sexiness of esports is coming from, you know, and happy to discuss how that affects the meetings industry and things like that. So, well, exactly because, all right. So I'm wrapping my head around, so tournaments basically is, is how we're kind of relating it to live events, right? right? I mean, so mm-hmm. are you saying that you've got like basically an arena of people watching people play video games? Is that accurate. basically That's what it accurate. is? That's accurate. That is okay. basically what it is. You got it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So esports obviously takes place behind a screen. Right. I mean, or like that's that's where you know, video games are start behind a screen. Mm-hmm. Then you bring them into live events and they become tournaments. Mm-hmm. And then now 
they're back in, behind a screen because yeah. there's no more live events at the moment. And right. so I'm kind of just curious from your point of view, has this time helped esports flourish or has it kind of hurt the industry or mm. how has COVID times affected esports? Sure. I think you're seeing numbers um, with booming, like, ebulliency you know you're seeing numbers that twitch has millions and millions of people logging in but then you're also seeing numbers um that have a very realistic standard of esports you know the esports isn't this perfect digital heaven where people go and team and franchises and sponsors never fight and you know so for example you know what we're seeing is that in in arenas that are being built for esports you know whether it's team team training or things like that, you know, we're seeing Arlington, Texas, one of my favorite esport arenas in North America had big layoffs, you know, that was two weeks ago. And mm. so it's, it's, it is a very real realistic that, you know, COVID has also reached the esport arena. However, I think what's been positive about 2020 is that esports is getting on people's radar, you know, in the way that 2020 has brought this to, to light. And an example of that is um, Congresswoman AOC, I'm D I, I'm DC based, right? So it's like <laughs> so I always go back to politics. So Congresswoman AOC was on Twitch twice, you know, encouraging young people to vote while she played a video game Among Us. I'm not sure that would have happened without 2020's effects on society. I feel like 2020 has brought that to the place for a more digital friendly future where esports can more easily meld into it. Where a statement of okay, so esports is a whole bunch of people in a room watching someone else play a game accurate. And to be honest, Jen, that demographic is completely happy to do so. I know the last homestand I attended before things shut down was Washington Justice. It's an Overwatch team in DC. So that means that um, Overwatch is, is a video game that's published by a game publisher called Activation Blizzion, one of the lar largest publishers in the world. So and the Washington Justice is our esport team that plays that game. So when I walked in, um, it was just the, the vibe of the crowd was enthusiastic. They were excited. It was the first tournament that DC had had, you know, it like that in that while. It was enthusiastic, you know, and you'd walk in and you'd see a merch table like you would see at a concert. Then you saw like a cardboard. Then you saw like a card table with signs and a permanent marker like to make your own signs and hold it up. And for me as an event planner, I'm like, oh, my, like this will just not do. This is not fancy enough. Where's the activation? Where are the sponsorships? How are we, we going to collect audience retention for data? Da, 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 da. It doesn't matter. Like, they're so happy to be there. <laughs> you know what I mean? So there, there's a purity to it that I think, you know, event organizers really need to understand, and especially in the knowledge gap of people running to, you know, monetize esport for their own programs. They have to take the time to fill their knowledge gap of the esport culture before they run in without doing their homework. Because it's a very smart demographic. They'll, they'll call you out if they feel misunderstood. Well, so what is the demographic exactly? Yeah, that that's it's it's everyone. <laughs> I think uh, it's it, it's a lot of people. Uh, obviously, the largest the largest demographic we're seeing is millennial and Gen Z. However, um, in my opinion, I think Gen Z is the most promising, only just because they're so digitally fluent and socially progressive, and they value experiences over materials. And with them being such a large part of the esport demographic, they don't even have their disposable income yet. So when they do have their disposable income to spend more money on esports, that's going to be a really big bucket. Because um, right now, part of it is the parents of the Gen Z. You know, a lot of people are 
gearing themselves toward parents because like as a parent you don't want to drop your you know preteen off at an arena with you know people with strangers from the internet you know it's like there's just that component there you want to involve the parent in the situation so that demographic gen z is really the one and i'm a little biased just because that's who i researched for a long time but it's really coming out that they are they're on track to be the majority of airsh share owners, the owners of the teams, the investors in the teams, the players of the teams, but also the largest consumer of the industry itself. So we're talking about Gen Z and I guess thinking about, so these people that grew up playing games in this manner, right? But then there's an interesting point that you made about they don't have a ton of disposable income yet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So there's still a lot of focus on, on their parents, but then is the anticipation that as Gen Z ages they will mm-hmm. continue to be part of this world mm-hmm. yes okay. absolutely yeah and i think for clarification I, I apologize i should have said this so gen z is ages 8 to 24 i know um north american we tend to label our demographics i know i was doing some type of pitch in france in the summer of 2018 and we kept calling people millennials and they're like what are you talking about we're like uh ages 25 to 40 and they're like so just say it and i'm like i'm sorry okay <laughs> You're right. Okay, so Gen Z, ages 8 to 24. So oh, thank you for clarifying. <laughs> yeah, just to clarify. So ages 8 to 24. So I think really that this is going to hook um This is going to hook them. You know, what we're seeing, we're seeing such large cultural shifts with this generation. These are the young people who directed us away from plastic straws a couple of summers ago. These are the people who are eco-conscious. These are people who've elevated streetwear into luxury wear. These are people who are utilizing TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram within an inch of our lives that now social media marketers are scrambling to also understand that platform. So they're really kind of driving where trends where trends are going. And I think in a way, for sake of, you know, Roomblock and Roomblock listeners, they are also valuing experiences at a level that we haven't seen before in a way that maybe would resemble, um, you know, Woodstock people wanting to drive and have that experience and then, you know, drive home in a way that people would go to a trade show, leave a trade show with a swag bag filled of business cards and water bottles and baseball caps and stress balls and, you know, whatever else (laughs) you can put a logo on, right? But, you know, versus Uh the Gen Z business traveler, they're really going to emphasize the experience of it, you know, and us as event organizers, how do we capture that make it the best standard and eventually for business reasons monetize it for the bottom revenue and a lot of that is going to be esports i well in, in my opinion esports has a lot of that potential for those consumers right well and so how how is that like how does the esports yeah. industry cater to the experience seeking gen z yeah so i think one thing that really attracts people to esports is it's personal storytelling over like a professional storytelling so i think they you stream a gamer playing a game you know it is not the gamer just walks into a world the game design of a world that you like to your point that you and your husband you get lost in you enjoy it you know and especially these games narratives these storytellings are so rich you know it takes hours months to play through a game you're watching these streamers get lost in that world it's a very personal journey for them it's not a professional journey and you know it's not professional because all of a sudden they're like oh no this oh no you know you'll you'll see their reactions <laughs> in live time as they you know miscalculate a gun inventory for or if they're an FPS or things like that. So 
it's definitely a personal over a professional. And I think that human ingenuity creates that bond experience that a lot of Gen Z people are looking for. So that the idea of a personalized experience, the intimate experience over a professional and polished appearance is really something that attracts Gen Z. And also storytelling and very rich storytelling, you know, bold storytelling. We've seen huge leaps for, you know, Black Lives Matter and the LGBTQIA plus community. And, you know, Gen Z is leading these stories being told. And you see one of my favorite, you know, Ewok, excuse me, one of my favorite gamers to highlight is a young woman named Ewok. And she is deaf and she is the cutest little thing. And she's really, really good. So it's one of those things where, and they, they embrace her in the community. And so I think that's really where Gen Z can meet esports at its best because esport naturally provides that they naturally provide the personal the person the personal over the professional they naturally provide the storytelling just for the game development and losing yourself in the game and they're also providing a huge cross-branding opportunity you know you're seeing really cool opportunities popping up with um the one example i give all the time is louis vuitton did a great cross brand with riot games league of legends so it was held in paris in october 2019 and you know louis vuitton sponsored the trophy case that the trophy of the world championship winners would receive they then took it a step further and provided a skin which is just kind of like a material that you can level up to play in the game they provided a monogrammed louis vuitton fashionly designed skin to play in the actual game you know it's that type of level of research that gen z and would enjoy and take part in wow this is so different than any kind of events or demographic than i feel like i've talked about before on the show like the i'm so interesting how you're talking about the personal yeah. factor, the storytelling factor, the fact that you're seeing people on screen experience, uh, you know, the different emotions that you go through as they're playing. And I have to laugh because I think about watching my son play and I'm like, yeah. dude, calm down. Like, <laughs> you know, there's like, he gets very into it. He's jumping up and down. He's and, and admittedly, I'm confused about the world that he's in of, you know, liking to watch his YouTubers, you know, sure. like, yeah, I'm like, I don't get it, you know, right. but I think we have to try to get it. And we have to try to understand it, especially as events industry people, because it's, you know, like you're saying, it's the kind of thing that is going to cater to this next generation as they come mm-hmm. into the world, as they're spending their money, as they start working and decide what events they want to attend. Right, right. So those the components that you're describing mm-hmm. that esports kind of touches mm-hmm. is so basically we kind of have to take some of that and translate that and, and apply it to the events that people plan or different associations organizations whatever plan yep. to try to capture this generation and keep them engaged in a live event experience right Right, because everyone's our, our attention spans are shrinking by the minute, and I think 2020 has only helped with that. So keeping the Gen Z engaged, especially a Gen Z esport consumer, is going to be a difficult task in the way that a Gen Z is. Um, they're so digitally fluent; they can have multiple platforms going on at the same time. Capture their attention in a single platform might be a challenge. Furthermore, esport consumers are very. I, I mentioned it briefly, but I'll go into more detail here. They're they have high standards. 
you know, they they know that they are onto something special in the business world. However, they've been into it since they were five or 10 years old. You know, who are you as a corporation to come in and monetize my experience for the sake of you to make money? And there have been mm. examples of many sponsors and companies getting it wrong. And I think that's where and, and to the point of it's not wrong in the way that when they did a post con or a post meeting debrief, people were angry, getting it wrong that while it was happening, people were tweeting on Reddit, on Twitch, on YouTube, you know, <laughs> dragging people as you're and it's all, you know, and you can't recover from that. And you're just watching no. that going, okay. And so I oh, think that's shoot. really where like event organizers have the ability here to do the homework, understand, jump into the Gen Z demographic, jump into the esport world. If you're curious, if you're if you're doing a traveling trade show and you just want to get to know the Gen Z when live events open up again, you know, if you're going to Chicago, you know, go to Chicago, log into Twitch, see what Chicago-based streamers and gamers are out there, see what games they're playing, understand their console, understand what video games are the most popular with the geographic, with the localization, with that fan base in that area. Because you have fans all over the world, but you still have local fans who come out and cheer them on and, you know, go to sightings and things like that. So that, that's another way for event organizers to just engage in that community is just utilize these direct utilize these platforms but then also bring it bring it home in that way i never would have thought there would be so much that you could relate yeah. esports to our world but it, this it's this makes perfect sense so i really appreciate you coming on the show to talk about it because yeah. i just think it's a topic that you know i mean i don't know maybe i'm just <laughs> not not yeah. paying enough attention but it's just something that hasn't entered my world like i said except for you know, my experience is just seeing more and more esports uh, trade shows kind of pop up. You know, when I was in the third party world, it, you know, a lot right. of our trade show organizers just kind of started to acquire these different shows. And I mean, they were even so small that we say, well, we don't even really need a room block yet. We just right. want to maybe set up a courtesy block. We'll see who's right. going to come. We're really not right. sure. But it right. sounds like. Right. Going to keep going. It's not going away. It's and in not. fact, we need to pay attention. Right. And I think that's where and it was funny because as I was kind of, you know, gearing up in 2019, um, you know, no longer as a professional, but more more of a student of esports. And I was sitting down with people on both sides. So it was really important to me that I had data from the whole ecosystem. And the ecosystem is very, very large of esports. You know, there's no there's no governing body. There's no global esport federation. There, so if you were to do like a master's thesis on football, you know, the an easiest topic would be like, go to the NFL. And if you're doing it, you know what I mean? Like for, for so for esports, it was like, start where you want. So I had platforms and event organizers and brands and investors and agencies and game publishers and industry and media conglomerates and leagues and teams. So and it was really interesting for me to sit down with every single one and have them walk through what are the issues that you foresee of esport events in the future. And a lot of people were talking about how combining the experiential branding experience for the live audience and streaming that same experience for those at home. And this was in I think I was asking that question early 2020 before things, you know, shut down. All of a sudden hybrid oh events gosh. became our life. So it was fascinating to hear those answers in the way that if you can match the streaming experiential brand experience, but prioritize a live audience. Because, I mean, if, if, if and we've all been there. We've, we've been on a stream or we've been on a Zoom where the panel is just dead. 
you know, you can hear crickets, these people, some, they don't want to be there. And, but if the, if it's engaging, if it's enthusiastic, you feed off that energy. And I think that's where esports is hitting the nail on the head with that. And I, that's the part that's really going to kind of take us through. And as event organizer, you know, we're responsible for maintaining that. Like we're responsible as experienced professionals to guide that through that process. So esports remains a culture that has always been the creative, accepting, wide culture that it is. So I think that's that's where it really kind of falls on us in that way. So it's mm-hmm. going to be interesting to see how that journey partakes and goes on. I, I think so. I think global audiences are going to get larger, these arenas that we're seeing. And yeah, it's going to be – I'm excited. It's going to be great. <laughs> yeah, so. no, it is exciting. So as far as what you're doing today, yeah, I know that you're – technically between official jobs, but you are still working in this space. Yeah. You you do have a podcast, actually, correct? I do. That's right. Yeah. So I have, um, so really with where I was, there's a, I have a podcast called Shoutcaster Limited. And the idea, um, the term Shoutcaster is a position in the esport ecosystem. They're the really cool guys and gals that call the game as you're watching it. They're funny. They're hilarious. They're articulate. They'll, you know, the equivalent I could think of for traditional sports is that very often in those Mexican soccer games, you'll have the guy that says, go for very long. Shoutcasters <laughs> yeah. are just the best. They're just like funny. They're engaging. They keep the video game engaged and alive. So the idea is that my podcast does the same. It kind of, shouts through the noise of esports to kind of bring you freshness and, e- and insights straight from the experts. And, you know, these are experts that we have chair of the Esports Trade Association. These are experts that we've had of DreamHack, which is one of the largest event organi- esport event organizers in the world. So that's kind of where we're coming from. And a lot of this was based in the idea of circumnavigating esports as an Olympic team. So I know, or Olympic sport, where I was originally, um, we were on track to go to Tokyo as far as a pre-production team to get everything up and running. And unfortunately, that transitioned through COVID. But what was really interesting about that is that we are seeing already esport themes at the Tokyo Olympics. That that's that's something that's not surprising just because Tokyo is so digitally advanced, you know, esports and games were born in Korea, Asia has it down to it. But what, what's really interesting, though, is that Intel, the um, computer company had sponsored a world championship esport game the night before the opening ceremonies on July 29th. So we're starting to see oh. small little traces of these esport even before you know right now now things are adjusting but that the small steps were there the event organizers were starting to pick up on and this was the olympics where it's the largest event in the world and so even as we're going through that process we're like "Mm, but there's also this intel event happening what's going on with that so it was fascinating process to kind of see where where it's going and where where it's coming from and I think that's the part where us as event organizers, we kind of have our finger on the pulse because we understand what makes people tick. We understand what makes people leave with a common feeling after they leave a room where they're one in 10,000 people. You know what I mean? Like they can still leave feeling like, wow, like that keynote speaker was really good. I took away a lot of good from that. But they also feel a part of this cool community. You know, like we're able to mm-hmm. walk those two worlds. And that's exactly what esports has been doing for a while as well. Wow. 
I feel like it's that is the meeting planner's goal, like you just said. It, I mean, it is to bring that experience to each individual attendee so they can each right. feel like they're taking something away, right. want to attend again in the future, want to remain part of the community, right. keep the conversation going after it's over. Yep. Okay, well, so first of all, any planners out there, it sounds like maybe you should give Rebecca's podcast a try if you have not. <laughs> to yes. dig, dig into the world a little bit more of esports and to learn a little bit more about it and how you can maybe take some of the philosophies and ideas and apply it into your events. Mm-hmm. especially to attract the future generations that will be attending events. Mm-hmm. But then, Rebecca, is there anything that you could suggest for planners as far as other ways? Like, is, is there something you personally have done or will do or could do for planners mm-hmm. that have mm-hmm. questions or any sure. advice you can give right now? Yeah. So I think um, two steps. So I think the first step is just to remain remain attuned to what the industry is doing. There are great options out there. There's something called the eSport Observer. It's a subsidiary of the Sport Business Journal. So the eSport Observer, TEO, is a great step to look for data and research and statistics. So make sure that you are kind of up to date on what's happening in your town. You know, if to your point, Jen, if you have a, a child who's into the esports, you know, maybe do some research and impress them with some of your own knowledge over the holidays. And uh, well, that, and while I'm thinking about it, it's the holidays. Everyone's home. Play that game. That you know what I mean. Like <laughs> right. j- take take the take a literal leap into what you've been doing as far as gaming, so you can kind of understand what the excitement is about. There's also a really good site called Nuzu. Um, and of course, as well, you know, feel free to reach out to myself. Um, I'll be happy to reconnect with anybody on LinkedIn, uh, find me through the Shoutcaster website. I'd be happy to discuss and, you know, and talk through exactly if esports is the right decision for you and your program and your event development program and seeing, you know, what the transitions are and the 2021 forecast and how that's going to kind of bring us into a brave new digital world because right now esports is the wild west so <laughs> you got to kind of combine those two to make it work for everybody in that way so wow you've given us a ton to think about so thank you and i'm, yeah. I'm going to link your information um great your podcast all that i can link that in the show notes just so everyone has that at their mm-hmm. fingertips but mm-hmm. yeah really thank you so much because this was again like i said just a different topic, a different way to think about things, different way to think about how to apply new information to live events. So I think mm-hmm. it's going to be great. I hope everyone found it useful and helpful. Yeah. Oh, it's my yeah. pleasure. And thank you so much, Jen. I'm happy to be here and, you know, share any insight. It's been wonderful. Thank you.